0: in Galatians chapter 2, and Bildad asked a question, and he said, how can a person be just before God? And so perhaps you're asking, well, who is Bildad? And no, he is not a hobbit. He is actually a Shuhite. So that clears things up. Actually, he was one of Job's friends. (laughs) But he asked the question, how can a person be just with God? This is a great question. It is really... Uh, one of the questions that is at the heart of pretty much all religion or all faith systems or all belief systems how can a person, somebody who believes in God will ask this question how can a person be made right or be just with God how can I stand before God and he will receive me pretty much every faith system addresses this big question and I suppose that if you were to ask your friends and your family and your neighbors, or if we were just to go out on the street and ask this question, how can a person be made right with God? I'm going to propose that the number one answer that you would receive is the way a person is made just with God is to be a good person. I would suggest that's going to be the most popular answer that would be given. Now, here's the thing. We can understand that from perhaps, uh, and and probably most religions would answer this question that that way. They would say, yeah, you know what, be a good person. Perhaps there are some rituals to perform. Maybe there are some ceremonies to participate in. Perhaps there are some some other... um, functions that a person is supposed to do but in the end uh, if you are a good person then you would be right or just before God the Christian faith however answers this question in a completely different way and the reason that Galatians chapter 2 verses 15 through 20 are so important to us is not only because most people out on the street, most of your family, most of your friends would answer this foundational question with be a good person. Here's what I'm concerned about. Not just your friends and your family, but here's the thing, probably the many people within the church perhaps many people sitting here today would answer this question by be a good person and I hear this sometimes from people in the church even people in this church and they say well pastor you know my neighbor he's a wonderful wonderful neighbor him and his wife I would trust them with my children I would trust them with all of my possessions they are servants. They they take care of those who are in need. They take care of the need. But they don't really believe in Christ. In fact, they're they're atheists, or perhaps they believe in some other maybe they're followers of a different faith. Certainly, God would not reject them, would he? And my response to that question is: if good people get into heaven, then they will be first on the list. You see, the Christian faith answers this question completely different. Amen. Amen. And so we need to understand Galatians chapter 2, 15 through 21. Because here's my position. If you don't get this text, you don't get Christianity. Yes, that's where I'm going. If you do not understand these verses, you do not understand Christianity. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Did everybody get a good night's sleep last night? No, okay, well, you guys got kids. It's all right. All right. Those of you who don't have kids, I suppose you got a good night's sleep. I hope you got a good night's sleep. But here's what I'm asking. Even if you didn't, I'm going to ask you to stick with me on this. All right? I'm going to ask you fight to stay awake, and I'll do my best to... Keep, 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 keep it going a little bit. But, but I need you to stick with me. This is a rather complex passage of text but here's what I'm saying if you will stick with Paul if you will follow his line of reasoning his logic and I'll do my best to guide you through his complex his rather complex logic if you will stick with it I believe that you will walk out of here saying glory, hallelujah, amen, glory to God in the highest and your faith will be strengthened. You will be a joyful Christian if you came in the door without joy. You will be walking out the door shouting glory to God in the highest with great joy. If you are not a believer... I think you will have the idea of what Christianity is and what we believe you will have a good understanding of what it is exactly that we believe or exactly how to answer this question how can I be right before God if there is a God and I'm going to stand before Him how can I make sure that I stand before Him as a friend and not as an enemy so I need you to stick with me you with me on that? nod your head some of you are already nodding now so (laughs) So as we get into this passage of text I I want to make sure that we we not forget the context remember that Paul um, is Last week we looked at how Paul was actually rebuking or calling Peter out for his hypocrisy. Now Paul is not writing about Peter's hypocrisy simply because he wants to elevate himself uh, above Peter and let all the world know for eternity or as long as uh, human history goes on that, that Peter failed. That is not Paul's intent. Paul is writing and showing Peter's hypocrisy Because when Peter refused or put up barriers to salvation to the Gentiles, Peter wasn't just making an error. He was propagating the lie that a person is not saved by grace through faith. He was propagating the lie that human merit earns your salvation. And Paul would say, and Peter would even agree with it, but if you believe that some sort of human merit will get you into heaven, you are not saved. Amen. That is another gospel. And Paul already told us in chapter 1 that even if somebody preaches, even if an apostle or an angel from heaven preaches a gospel different, let him be accursed because it doesn't save. And so Paul is calling Peter out, not because he hates Peter or not because he wants to... to uh, um, diminish Peter in any way. He's saying he's preaching a different, he's he's propagating a different gospel. In fact, he's propagating a gospel that he doesn't even believe. So I'm calling him out. So that's where we've been. So what we're about to read and what we're about to consider is in that context. So let's go ahead and read Galatians chapter 2 and I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's good. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. Pardon my microphone. It was because of a revelation that I went up. And I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus who was with me though he was a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them even for an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But, from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But, on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also in the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Verse 15. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by the faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But... If while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And this is the word of God. Amen. Well, Paul begins with... Here's going to be kind of my outline. Well, not kind of my outline. This is my outline. That Paul is going to make a proposition, actually two propositions, and then, and that's going to be in verses 15 and 16, and then through the rest of the text, Paul is going to defend these two propositions. Alright? So let's start with these two propositions of a way. Before we get to our two propositions, let's do a little vocabulary lesson, okay? Sorry. I know everybody's eyes glaze over right now, but here's our vocabulary. Because Paul introduces us to a very important term that you need to understand as a Christian. I know, as I don't need to know all those fancy words. I just believe Jesus. You need to understand justification. If you don't get this, you don't get Christianity. So here we go. Justification is a legal term. It is a courtroom term. And it simply means to declare somebody not guilty. It means to acquit somebody. And so when Paul's talking about being justified, he's talking about God declaring them not guilty. This is a not guilty verdict. So when Bill then asks, how can a person be just before God? What he's asking is, how can a person be declared not guilty before God? And so this is terribly important to us because the question then is how can a person be declared not guilty before a holy God good question let me be a little bit more specific about the question the question then is how can a sinful person be declared not guilty before a holy God That's a big question, and we're going to answer that. And Paul goes about making these two propositions, and he puts them in a negative and a positive uh, format. And so let's look at the negative. And he says this three times. He says, Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law. So that... And not by the works of the law. A person is not justified by the works of the law. So he goes on like three times. He says, A person is not justified by the works of the law. So that's his negative proposition. His negative proposition is that a person is not justified. Somebody is not declared not guilty by the works of the law. And Paul begins, Now we're Jews. And I think he's talking about Peter and Cephas, or uh, Peter and Paul, and perhaps Barnabas. Now we're Jews. We're not like those Gentile sinners. Now let me make sure we understand how Paul is using this idea of Gentile sinners. He's using this word sinners in a very narrow sense. He is stating that... He's not stating that we're Jews and we never sin. And those Gentiles, well that's all they do, they just go around sinning all the time, but we Jews never sin. I don't think he's using that in that sense. And that will be important for us when we get down to verse 17. But... What he's saying is that we are Jews and we have the law. God has revealed Himself to us. He has told us and specified how it is we are to approach Him, how we are to worship Him, how we are what, it, what actions please Him and what actions displease Him. We have that revelation. Gentiles don't have that law, and so they, by they're just naturally lawless. But we're not like that. We know what God wants. We know how to worship God. He's revealed that to us through His law. The Gentiles, not having such revelation, are therefore naturally lawbreakers. I think that's how Paul is using this term. So we're not like them, but uh, because we have God's law. And so, in other words, as Jews, we've had every advantage. And yet, even then, we could not keep that law. We were not brought up as law-neglecting Gentiles, but as law-keeping Jews. Therefore, we are Jews by nature, and we're not sinners amongst the Gentiles. But even we, Jews, no man is justified by the works of the law. Because remember, there was a group of false teachers coming in behind Paul. Paul taught salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, on the merits of Christ alone. And this is what he taught. But a group of people came in and called them Judaizers. And they came in and said, oh yes, being justified by Christ, that's really good. But first you've got to become a Jew. And here's what you need to do. You need to be circumcised and follow these dietary laws and follow these um, holy days. And then you will be justified in Christ. And Paul is saying, now, no! No flesh will be justified by the works of the law. It's impossible. And he's going to unpack this in his defense. And I'll try a little, in, say it a little, later, little later on, but it may not be a little later on. It may be much later on. But here we go. So that's the negative proposition. you with me? No flesh will be justified by works of the law. There is no work that you can do that will cause you to be right in the eyes of God or be declared not guilty. God doesn't say, Oh, you did such and such a thing. That's very good. Now you're not guilty. How does a sinner, how can a sinner be declared not guilty before a holy God? Because see, if God is holy, He must condemn the sinful act. And yet if God is, is is Forgiving and loving, he must forgive the sinner. So how does God go about declaring a guilty person not guilty? He worked out a wonderful plan. So that's the negative proposition. Here's the positive proposition. That we are justified by faith alone. Or faith in Jesus. That is, that God sent his son who lived a life without sin and offered his sinless person Himself as a willing sacrifice on Calvary that is Jesus Christ is the completely sufficient and acceptable offering that is that God took the matter of salvation out of our hands and he completely took this whole affair into his own hands and did for you and I what we could not do ourselves that's Paul's positive proposition that God did for us what we could not do ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. That's Paul's positive proposition. So the negative proposition, you cannot stand not guilty before God based on any merit of your own. The only way you can stand not guilty before a holy God is by believing in Jesus Christ. That's it. So That's his his positive proposition. This positive proposition that the we um, have staked our lives on salvation in Jesus. We have thrown our lot in with him. And we are not trusting in anything else. So those are the two propositions. I'll give you a summary. Then we'll look at Paul's defense on how he defends that. Um, so here's the summary of what Paul has just said. There is one gospel. There are not two gospels. There's not a gospel for Jews and a gospel for Gentiles. There's not a gospel for um, people in Papua New Guinea and people in Ecuador there's not a gospel for America and a gospel for Africa there's not a a gospel for the socially elite and the socially downtrodden there is not a gospel for one race and a different gospel for another race there is one gospel and it is faith in Jesus Christ and so justification that is being declared not guilty is by grace through faith, and it is foundational to the Christian faith. If we don't get this, we don't get Christianity. Alright, so there's my, there's Paul's two propositions. I think they're not too complicated. I think we get them. Now his defense is a little bit more complex, so here we go. You ready? Alright, if you're starting to nod off, now it's time to wake up. That was the easy part. This is now kind of the, the challenging part. Here's the objection. Objection number one. Well, here's the objection. The objection is this. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? Paul's response may it never be. Now, follow with me um, how, what Paul is doing here. If while seeking to be justified in Christ, you have to remember that the Judaizers are saying that one must follow the laws of Moses in order to be declared not guilty. If you do not follow the laws of Moses, you are a sinner. That's their reasoning. That is, you are living outside of the boundaries of the law, and living outside of the boundaries of the law, you can't be justified. And this is exactly what Peter and Paul were doing. They were living outside the boundaries of the law because they were eating with Gentiles and they were eating food uh, that perhaps would have been unacceptable. uh, amongst our Jewish brethren they were not advocating that a person needed to be circumcised to be saved and so Paul and Peter were advocating this idea that you don't need to follow the laws of Moses in order to be saved that all you need to do is follow Christ so so if in seeking Christ so here's here's the Judaizers argument here here's the objection that, that Paul has put forth if, if in seeking Christ you abandon the important components of justification that is the law of Moses would that make Christ an aider and a better of sin do, do you follow the logic if, if you need to follow the laws of Moses to be justified but you're teaching that we only need to follow Christ and if in following Christ we neglect the law then doesn't that make Christ the one who's promoting sin does that kind of make a little sense I know this argument's a little complex but think about that see in the eyes of the Judaizers one would become a sinner if one trusted in Christ alone are you with me? Some eyes are glazing over. Okay. So, to trust in Christ alone would make you a sinner. And it would make you a sinner because you're not trusting in the law of Moses. And Paul's saying, and so, so the argument would go like this. If you're only trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of, of your sins and not the law of Moses, then that would make Christ somebody who's actually propagating you to be a sinner. And Paul answers may it never be. Paul would say, no, absolutely not. Freedom from Jewish ceremonial law is not sin. It is not a sin to no longer trust in yourself for your salvation. Christ frees us from works, hence He is not an agent of sin. So, the argument, doesn't following Christ alone Make you make Christ an agent of sin because he's actually telling you not to follow the laws of Moses? And Paul says absolutely not, because in Christ we are free from the requirements of, of the laws of Moses. Um, and so therefore Christ is not a minister of sin. He actually frees us to worship God alone. So that's that's Paul's first that's Paul's first response to his objection. To this objection and now he goes on into verse 17 and he says but if while seeking to be justified in Christ we ourselves have also been found to be sinners is Christ then a minister of sin may it never be verse 18 for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed I prove myself to be a transgressor I'm going to stop there so Paul has just said no following Christ doesn't make, doesn't make Christ a minister of sin that's just not true Christ frees us from sin, and now he adds to his support. And here's his support. He says this if I rebuild what what I have once destroyed, I I prove myself to be a transgressor of the law. So I ask myself this question what exactly did Paul tear down? If I rebuild what I have once destroyed, what was it that Paul destroyed? Well what Paul had destroyed is the The requirements of the law. Now let me just clarify, hopefully, something here. What I mean by the the requirements of the law, I mean the requirements of the law is put forth by the Pharisees. I don't believe that the law of Moses, as Moses delivered them, there was ever anything wrong with them. In fact, I believe that by the law of Moses, um, was always by faith. Was Always by faith. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. Old Testament and New Testament. And here's why I believe that. So suppose you're living in the ancient near, uh, ancient near East, and let's just say, I don't know, during the time of Moses. Now, you've been told that, and let's just say, I don't know, you're a, you're a shepherd. And you have a few little sheep, not many, Not very wealthy. You know, you pretty much live day to day. Maybe you sell a little goat cheese on the side and you're just trying to make ends meet. But you've been told that if you were to sin to violate one of God's commands that what you need to do is you need to go out into your flock and find a lamb, a spotless one, your best one, your most marketable one, the one that's going to be the best price, the one who also produces other really high quality little lambs that you can sell and trade and breed. You need to go get that one. And you need to take it over to the priest in the temple, or in this case, the tabernacle. And the priest is going to kill this innocent lamb on your behalf. This innocent lamb is going to die and bear the cost of your sin. You're the guilty one. The lamb is not. The lamb dies. You remain alive. That's what you've been told. This is completely and totally an act of faith. To believe that if I go get this very valuable item and take it to a priest and he kills it and I'm believing that through that shed blood of that little lamb somehow God is going to forgive me of my sins. I'm just a shepherd. I don't know how all that works. I'm not a religious priest. I'm not an expert in the law. All I know is God said that he would forgive me of my sins if I offered this lamb in faith. See, salvation always been by faith. Amen. I have no problem with that aspect of the law, but what had happened was throughout history, and it kind of culminates here with the Pharisees, The law had become um, a stairway to heaven. Sorry to use the Led Zeppelin reference. That if you were to... that That the law had become stair steps, that by following them, you could ascend into heaven and be right before God. That wasn't the original law put out by Moses, but it had devolved into that by the time Paul is writing, and the Judaizers would hold this. So, they had turned the law into a list of steps that demanded moral fitness in order to be part of heaven. This is what Paul tore down. If I tear down that which, um, or if I, let me read it more closely, if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, what Paul destroyed was this Idea this legalistic view of moral fitness in order to be accepted before God. And so Paul's saying, now, if I go back and reconstruct those stair steps, if I tear those stair steps down, if I destroy that ladder, those stepping stones that get me to heaven, if I go and I tear those down and then go back and rebuild them, that is that I have to somehow ascend this ladder of moral of morality in order to be accepted by God, that's what makes me a sinner. What makes me a sinner isn't trusting in Christ. If I tear down this law, the stairway to heaven, if you will, if I tear down this ladder and then go back and rebuild it, that makes me a transgressor. So let's look at the connection between 17 and 18 And perhaps this will make some sense Trusting in Christ is not what makes you a sinner Trusting in your own moral achievement makes you the sinner It's your presumption that you can climb your way into heaven On the steps of morality that is sin Not trusting in the blood of Christ Alright, do you see that? So my trusting in Christ is not what makes me a sinner What would make me a sinner is to go back to some sort of legalistic view that I can earn God's favor by my moral fitness. That makes me a sinner. My self-righteousness makes me a sinner. My trusting in Christ is what delivers me. So that's kind of Paul's argument. I told you it was kind of complex, but does it make sense? Paul then goes on, and in verse 19 then, he Furthers his support. He says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. In other words, I can't go back to the law. I can't go back to that stairway. I can't go back and reconstruct that ladder. I think Paul would say, I've tried it. I've tried climbing that stairway. And I can't do it. And in fact, if anybody could do it, I could do it. Paul lists his, uh, not in Galatians, but he lists. His his moral achievements. I mean, I have the right heritage. I have the right bloodline. I was trained under the right teachers. I've kept the law. I've done everything. And even Paul says, that doesn't justify me. This was Luther's big issue. Luther said, if any priest could make it to heaven, it would be me. And Luther was wracked with guilt. This is why when he found justification by faith justification by grace through faith in Christ he was set free because he says I've done everything that is humanly possible and I'm still not justified and Paul would say if you're not justified by that why would you go back and build that ladder it just makes you a sinner Paul says so for through the law I died to the law I can't keep it I can't go back, I've tried it and it doesn't work and so therefore I throw myself upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and there I find an open heaven I die to the idea of achieving God's favor by human merit and in so doing I find that God has achieved for me the life that I was unable to attain myself that's Paul's argument I can't go back to the law it doesn't justify I can't even keep it even if I can't keep it And so I died to the law. And I live for Christ. And then finally Paul wraps up in verses 20 and 21. He says, And I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died needlessly. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? I think what Paul is saying is that when Christ died, I died. That is, His sinless life for my horrific rebellion and inability to achieve God's good pleasure. Christ died because I have sinned horribly. And in my own vain attempts to be justified to God, I fell drastically but Christ died for that. And when Christ died, I died. I died to my self-reliance. I died to my self-righteousness. And Christ's death on my behalf means that I died to all self-righteousness. John Piper says self-reliance and self-righteousness cannot live at the foot of the cross. So His sinless life for my rebellion... His death on my behalf means that I have died. What have I died to? I have died to all self-righteousness and all self-achievement in order to t- obtain salvation. When Christ died, I died. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, we talk about the death of Christ and about the past tense things we'll talk about when Christ died I died but there's a present tense aspect as all also because see Christ didn't remain dead did he Christ died and then 3 days later rose again and 40 days after that ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the father and that Christ all right. I've died to the law I've died to self-righteousness but the Christ who now lives and lives in heaven with God is now living his life through me he just didn't die for my sins now he lives his very life the resurrected Christ now lives in me and through me he rose, he took over my life that old man of self-righteousness is dead a new man of Christ's righteousness is alive, this folks is the gospel this is not an intellectual agreement of the facts of Christianity or the fact of the Bible, but it's a death to self-reliance and by the living Christ dwelling in and through you. This is what Paul is, this is Paul's whole argument here. Christ died. And so I died. My self-righteousness is dead, but Christ didn't remain dead, and neither did I. I now live. And the only reason I live is because Christ is alive and he is now living his life through me. Then he goes on and he says. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me that is, I am now a new man I am a new creation I am a new creature, what I was is gone, it's dead, what I am is brand new, the eye of self-reliance is dead and the eye, and the new eye looks to Christ and it is Christ now who is living through me it is Christ who is strengthening me Christ who guides me, Christ who motivates me Christ who leads me, Christ who teaches me Jesus Christ is all of my hope and my righteousness, and there is no other, I'm dead to the law, I'm alive to Christ, Christ is living in me because he's living in me I am a new creation and Christ is guiding, leading, sanctifying teaching admonishing and making his glory known through me, that's the new life So this is Paul's argument do you get it? two propositions you can't can't be justified you can't be declared not guilty by anything you do The only way you can be declared not guilty is through the the work of the sinless Christ who died, took care of the sin problem, but not only took care of the sin problem, but ascended into heaven and now lives his life through you. So this idea then that you can accept Christ and then just live however you want, that's not what Paul says. He completes the whole circle. He says, no, now Christ is going to live through you and he is going to basically animate your very lives. Hallelujah. And so... Paul then goes on I don't nullify the grace of God in fact I exalt the grace of God see if I could achieve justification on my own then I don't need Christ Paul explains in Romans chapter 5 that if you can achieve your not guilty status before God by your own merit and your own works then it is no longer grace but it is a wage that is due right so I do all the stuff that I'm supposed to do and then I stand before the holy God of the universe. And I he said, why should I let you in my heaven? Because you owe me. did everything for you. You are now in debt to me. Paul would have none of that and neither will we. Stand before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? And it is Jesus Christ alone. That's all I got. I got Jesus. And on that, the, he- the gates of heaven, open wide, flame wide, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your wrath. Amen. This is Paul's message in God. Like I said, if you don't get this, you don't get Christianity. If we miss this, we miss the very foundation of Christianity. Christ is the cornerstone, but this is the foundational block right next to that cornerstone. That's right. if, you don't, if you can achieve justification, you do not need Christ Paul would say, and I would agree with Paul, but I cannot achieve justification on my own. And so therefore, I throw myself on the mercy of God and on the work of Jesus Christ, and in Him I live. And so I will conclude with this. This is the gospel then that saves. We are going to answer Bill Dad. Bill Dad asked the question, how can a person be made right before God how can a person be just before God how can a person be declared not guilty before, before a holy God and I'll expand how can a guilty person be declared not guilty by a holy God how can I as a sinner be declared sinless before a God who is just and holy and Paul has given us the answer You've been declared guilty of a gift. You've been declared not guilty as a gift. By believing in Christ. And that alone. Justification is by grace alone, by faith alone, on account of the merits of Christ alone. And this is the gospel that saves. Everything else, let it be accursed. Justification, declared not guilty by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the merits of Christ alone. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.